Hi, Seb. How's it going? Yeah, not bad, mate. Not bad. How are you, Ben? Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm do- doing all right. So what's um, today's topic of conversation? Well, I was going to go into uh, mental health and well-being in general. And uh, let's just start by a bit of a question, really. So is mental is depression rather on the rise or is it just being talked about more? Um, I don't know. Well, it's hard to say, isn't it? It's like any sort of statistics. It's um, is our ability to record it improving our pe- or is it actually getting worse? Um, maybe it's a bit of both. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I certainly hear it discussed so much more. I mean, it's become a real mainstay of the news these days. Um, and I guess as well with social media on the rise, everyone seems to correlate that with the rise in depression and uh, certainly in teenagers, uh, you know, constantly judging themselves, um, comparing against others. As a philosopher once said, comparison is the thief of joy. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess it depends because any sort of statistics like crime statistics, people do say, um, oh, crime's a lot worse than what it used to be. But actually, then there's other people say, actually, it used to be a lot worse before. Um, It's actually got better. But our ways of recording sort of like societal trends in general is getting better. Um, But I think it's, like I said, probably a bit of both. We are probably people are talking about these things more. We are looking into mental health a lot more and well-being um so are people getting unhappier i don't know if we are it's it's hard to say were we was the levels of let's say depression always the same as what they are now Mm. um but now we're more aware of it um i honestly don't know it's hard to say because when you look at different countries and the statistics of how happy certain countries are generally i think the Western countries are, I think they seem to be more happy. Like Norway is the happiest country. I don't know what its levels of depression are. Um, so I don't really know, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't, don't really know how, how to answer that. Mm. I would say probably, I think maybe it is getting worse. Maybe as um, society is developing and we're getting better technology and our like routines are changing, I think we probably are... There is a lot to be said that we're drifting away from uh, a sort of lifestyle more connected with our basic needs, which is probably causing a lot of unhappiness. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. So, I mean, our basic needs as humans are, let's say, community, I think is a big thing. We're we're, uh, social creatures and uh, essentially our community is absolutely huge, uh, depending on which country you're in. But... We're surrounded by people constantly, but a lot of the time we end up feeling uh, quite alone uh, in that we we go home to these brick boxes we call houses and we shut the door and that's our little private space. And though there's thousands of people on in, in uh, any given place, you can end up feeling quite alone, I think. Um, so I think that's one thing. Um, I think as well, like physical activity. So when we were more physically active, roaming the tundra, hunting and gathering, etc. I mean, this is going way back in our history, but uh, I guess that's where we've evolved from, right? And so that's presumably where our basic human needs kind of lie. And now things are very easy. We go to the supermarket. Uh, it's maybe lacking a little bit of uh, purpose. It, things are quite easy. We've got a lot of downtime. Life's quite comfortable. Maybe 
um, happiness and kind of true meaning is found in a balance between struggle and uh, and comfort, not just comfort. Yeah, I mean, there's the basic sort of a hierarchy of needs, isn't there, about what things we need to start off sort of like happiness wagon, I guess. Um, <laughs> happiness having, wagon. Well, you know, like having... That sounds like a, a VW hippie van. Peace <laughs> and love, man. Yeah, like puffs of smoke coming out of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the things you touched upon there, I mean, exercise, no doubt, that is an important part of being happy, getting the, the, your heart rate up, getting the, the, the blood flowing around your body because it's just having a chemical effect on your brain. And okay, happiness... Releasing those endorphins. Yeah, and happiness um, on a sort of like fundamental level is basically uh brain brain states yeah. which is af affected by a lot of um external and internal factors so exercise is definitely um something we don't do enough also like, like there's another thing you said as well about sort of like having sort of like dangerous situations that make us because everything's so easy for us now everything's bubble wrapped everything's easy we don't have to hunt for food we don't we're not putting any sort of like uh, uh fight or flight dangerous situations which in our sort of like evolutionary history we would have had more and that probably once you've done that you feel like a sense of well achievement or it's over and you feel like you know do you know what i mean when you've had when you've been in a bit of a, a dangerous situation afterwards you feel appreciation that it's over um, absolutely and i suppose that brings communities closer together right when you're working together to overcome a task or something um difficult well, that, yeah, that, that was your first thing about community. I don't think it's about proximity to other human beings because, like, you know, you could live in London and have loads of people around you, and it could yeah, be. That's precisely what I mean. But um, I think it's being part, being accepted as part of a community. I mean, you know, probably our parents or would grow up and you'd know everyone in your street. You'd go to the local baker, you would know everyone. Whereas now we're sort of like electronically commuting, uh, connected to everyone in the world, but. You know, you don't always know your neighbours. Um, you don't always have that um, connection as much or you don't feel part of a sort of community, if that makes sense. You're not accepted into it, are you? Indeed, um, which kind of runs quite nicely onto one of my other uh, points that I've written down in my little notes, uh, which is that uh, hobbies essentially can certainly contribute to uh, happiness, in my view. Um, something to do, and this often in finding a hobby and something that you really enjoy doing uh, that provides you a community. So, for example, one of my uh, sort of big hobbies growing up was uh, to play music. I'm a musician. And so that's kind of communal by default in that you're playing with other musicians. Um, but then you can go to events together. You go to gigs. That's a big social activity where everyone's really on a big high. Um, so, yeah, can hobbies kind of negate something like depression? Um, I don't think it's as black or white as that, but I certainly think that having some sort of hobby or creative outlet or something that you're genuinely interested in learning more about can affect your happiness. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And the fact that, you know, being a musician also has that sort of like cultural, you, you know, you can be in a band that's acceptance into sort of some sort of community. That's another benefit yeah. from it. But hobbies, yeah, it is. It's something that you, I mean, it's it's looking forward to things as well. It's having, instead of existing just to work and come home, having things to look forward to in the future. And I guess hobbies kind of like touch upon that. It's something you can look forward to doing, you know, 
at the end of the week, oh, I'm going to go and do that. And it's also something in the future. It's a goal as well. It's a project. You can learn more. You can grow. It's having, uh, well, like I said, a goal, an achievement, That's something it. you can plan for. It's kind of actually a little bit like a mindfulness exercise, isn't it? Let's say learning to play an instrument or just learning to draw focusing on something that's just before you i mean i see all these uh, like in tesco's and stuff they have these mindfulness coloring books um so i mean indeed you're just putting colors within lines but um still that's that's supposed to help it's supposed to um yeah be a contributing factor towards mindfulness which i guess uh, again is something that's said to negate depression yeah i mean um mindfulness and meditation that's a whole whole other topic that can help as well yeah but like you say a lot of these things are all overlapping because you could do a hobby which is um very mindful when you're focused in the moment like coloring in or some sort of artwork where you're so focused on that particular activity that you enjoy that you're growing in you're developing your skills in at that moment you're so focused in the present moment um all the other things which because could fuel your anxieties you're immediately having a temporary relief from them which is good for your brain that's why the, you know a lot of these spiritual teachers will really emphasize being in the present moment um, yes. and having a hobby picking up a musical instrument coloring uh, going out on your bike in nature you you're doing things voluntarily that you enjoy and you're it's a distraction from tragedies in life which everyone has yeah I mean, it's uh, interesting that you you mentioned several times and then brought it back to the spiritual teachers and stuff about living in the present moment. And uh, arguably, that's where we're our happiest. So let's say you're you're doing something very hard. Let's say you're, I don't know, surfing. That seems to be a good one. All surfers seem super happy people. That's hard activity. You're out in nature. You're with water. Well, they've got uh, sunshine, this sunshine, exercise, exactly, yeah. community, be probably a beautiful beach. They love it. Water, the salt in the water. Um, yeah, I mean, that's great, isn't it? Indeed. Now, you mentioned salt in the water as well. What's, uh, why did you kind oh, of pull that point out? Oh, just that it's good for you. It's good for you. I'm just saying, I'm just immediately thinking about all the good things about surfing. So you've got exercise. Like it's really good for you. Um, you're, it's always in good weather. Sunshine is really important. Um, you're in nature as well. You're outdoors on the beach. Um, you've got the community. The salt water was, it's just good for your skin. It's just good for you. It's cleansing. It's good for you. It's right, just another cool. thing about being in the sea, which is good for uh, your skin. So um, there's all these like um, health benefits, which affect, which will make you feel happier which aren't actually the intention from surfing because people go surfing because they like surfing they're like hit some waves dude but there's so <laughs> many there's so many other really important things which you get out of it at the same time although surfing's very hard i don't know if you've ever tried it uh, i haven't but um i mean i've tried uh like uh, snowboarding and stuff and i couldn't yeah. do that for shit so uh put a wave <laughs> underneath it and i can imagine i'd be even worse <laughs> But yeah, yeah. No, mindfulness and, and living in the moment, because indeed that's a very hard task. So that, that was why I kind of uh, brought it up. Yeah. And, well, it uh, is. Surfing also requires a lot of patience because you, most of the time you're spent like literally floating in water, waiting for a wave to come in. Snowboarding, mm -hmm. you can just do it because gravity is always there. The mountain, you're not waiting for the mountain. So surfing can also develop a lot of patience as well. Yeah. But this whole thing about... Um, being in the present moment I, I do think that it's kind of a bit overrated as well like there's a lot there is 
you know, like a lot of these spiritual teachers like Eckhart, Eckhart Tolle or Tolle, I'm not sure how you say it. They always like, oh, you've always got to be in the present moment. And a lot of them say this, but I think it's unachievable and unrealistic to never expect as a human being that you may be ruminating about something that happened in the past or you may be anxious about something about the future. That's part of who we are. That's how our minds work. So I do think it's a bit, a bit sort of not overrated, but this whole thing of oh, always being in the present moment, I think it's just a bit. Oh, that weird. is, that is impossible. I mean, surely, uh, I mean, the whole act of meditation is to try and be in the present moment and in, in meditating, you're constantly having an influx of thoughts, right? You have to let them go. That's the whole process. Yeah. I don't know if I agree with that. Um, I don't know if I would agree that the objective of meditation is to be in the present moment. Is I think you, you, no, and I don't know, not, not necessarily. I mean, this is just my, my opinion. Like the way I see meditation is it's, it, it, it is a form of exercise or training for the mind that has has lots of has lots of benefits to it um most of them being with your emotions and the way your brain works um but i wouldn't say the objective of it necessarily was to be in the present moment but that's just okay. my opinion yeah i mean to be honest you're more educated with uh with meditation i know that you've practiced it yourself uh yeah. i've not really persisted with it a great deal um okay. but uh yeah no as far as I understood meditation to be, um, so you can do it wherever you don't necessarily have to be sat in a Lotus position on some hill or something like looking yeah. like you're meditating, you can do it anywhere, but mm -hmm. it's the process of trying to still your mind, let, letting go of thoughts as soon as they come in. Um, so when you sat there thinking, presumably thoughts that are in that are flooding in are going to be ideas about the future, what to do, what, you're going to cook that night or maybe something that's happened in the past and you've just got to let these thoughts go. Kind of. Yeah. Um, so I can only speak from my personal experience on it. Um, I think meditation, when you first start meditating, you realize how crazy your brain actually is. And how, mm -hmm. <laughs> how I think it's called the default mode network, how our brain, yes. our brain has got constantly throughout the day, we're dealing with so many sensory inputs, yes. our senses are involuntary. Our brain is like interpreting reality all the time. Um, it's always working or we're asleep and then we're in another state. Um, but I think with meditating, um, when you start doing it, you realize and you actually become the observer of your thoughts instead of this almost the slave to them. You can then see how random there's all these, this like cascade of thought explosions in your mind, just randomly popping off that you didn't even know were there. You could start thinking about something that happened um, two years ago. And when you put yourself in an environment as a beginning, as a beginner meditating, where you've got no distractions, you can then really sort of like focus on what's happening in the mind. And, by there's no actual you're not forcing yourself to do anything meditation is almost the easiest thing ever there's no trying to clear your mind it's almost recognizing 
that when you do get lost in thought, bringing your attention back to something present, which may be your breathing, maybe a mantra, maybe focusing on a flame. And the process of going to and from focusing on something in the present, realizing you're lost in thought, bringing it back, that cycle, which is what everyone does, as you keep doing that, it's essentially like a bicep curl for the mind. Okay, yeah, nice. And I like uh, some of the, the ways you're in which you're describing, you're distilling it nicely for me. Yeah, well, I'm trying to avoid any sort of like spiritual connotations. I'm talking about it purely as an yeah, yeah, nice, exercise for the mind. And what it does is all sorts of things can happen. I mean, you can get physical benefit, benefits from it. With um, And I don't know all of them off the top of my head because they haven't really interested me that much because, like, if you want to get physical benefits, you might as well just go for a run. Like people don't meditate for the physical benefits, but you yeah. can get them with your blood pressure and heart rate and stuff. But you just find that by training your mind in this way, you find that in normal day-to-day life, you are able to think about things before you're emotionally reacting to them. It allows you to pause and think about things and make a decision before you allow your sort of emotions to possess you. Um, You just, it can make you a calmer person. You can get like epiphanies with things when you're meditating because you're allowing, you're you're removing all these distractions from day-to-day life. And then you can start to work things out. It just makes your brain work on a better level. It can be sort of like uh, healing in the mind. Um, But this thing about, People say people. A lot of people are reluctant to to meditate because they think it's so hard, and they think, "Oh, I've got to clear my mind." And they're almost sitting there angry because they're annoyed that they're having these thoughts. That's what but you that, want. That's that's the process, isn't it? Indeed, it's um you you can't literally still your mind. Your mind, it's not the nature of the mind. But um, I like the way that you uh you compared it to a bicep curl. Yeah, that's um that's well, cool. I mean, some people natu- I mean, there are people that have been meditating for hours and hours every day, and they claim to be enlightened or whatever that means um, i mean i'm i'm a, a novice fairly but i've done it quite a bit and i've you know read up seen a lot of videos about it to think i've got a good grasp of it but yeah it's just a process of going from distraction in thought to focus on the present moment and as you do that you'll find that the distractions fade away and then you yeah. will get you will get to a stage where you are literally just present there's no effort in it and suddenly the brain is not involuntary thinking about things and you're just purely present. And that in itself is is contentment. I think maybe it could be called enlightenment. Maybe it could be called nirvana. I don't know what interpretations of it. And then you're but so then peaceful, completely peaceful. You kind of came around uh, back full circle a little bit there because you said uh, it. you just, by the result of a little bit of meditation or a lot of meditation, you end up kind of being in the present moment so is that not potentially the objective of meditating while so um it, it's just if i was to introduce meditation to someone i wouldn't that didn't know about it i wouldn't say oh the objective is to be in the present moment because they okay may yeah not necessarily understand that i mean you you Yes, you do. If you're sitting down and meditating for, say, an hour or however long at the beginning, your mind's probably going to be like sparking off with loads of crazy thoughts and you're having to refocus back on, let's say, your breathing. And after a while, that will stop. And then you'll just be purely present, like what animals are. Um, And 
you're relieved from these involuntary thought impulses that are coming in where they may be about memories in the past or anxieties about the future or something. And then, yeah, you are present. So I guess in some ways you could say like the result, like the result of meditation would be to be present. But I would say it's more about training your mind to uh, not be such a slave to thought yeah, that's nice. Um, and uh, when you mentioned earlier, you said you become the observer of your thoughts rather than the slave to them. I thought, again, that was a nice little uh, in a nutshell kind of phrase that was uh, quite nice. So it's almost like uh, being in the present moment is a little bit of a byproduct from meditation. But meditation is about the process itself. I don't know. I'm just giving you my opinion. I mean, it's all good. It's all good. It's all. Yeah, I guess it is about. I mean, it depends why you're doing it. Uh, but yeah, you do. You, you do become more present. Um, so, yeah, I mean, saying it's a byproduct is, I wouldn't go that far. I would say, yeah, okay. Okay, it, is an, it is the kind of goal of it. Um, but it's just training your mind. It's just exercise for the mind to make you a calmer. You, you can concentrate better. You, your emotions are more balanced. Um, you can handle situations in life better. You're more peaceful, appreciative. Like there's yeah loads of emotional benefits. You can get clarity on things. You can work. I, I remember like meditating, and because my mind had calmed down, and I was giving my brain that extra space to think. Suddenly, things I just started working stuff out that yeah, maybe nice. had been going ongoing for months. And I started, I realized, oh, that's the solution. Because you're you're giving your brain a chance to act in a way that you don't usually get in day to day life because you've either got the awaking state where you've got like constant stimulation thoughts all the time or you're asleep whereas meditation is you're still conscious but you're removing all those inputs so it's almost like giving your brain a break to sort of like maybe heal on a deeper level develop um evolve maybe yeah now as well have you ever used a isolation chamber or tank or flotation tank they've got yeah, I have. names yeah I have, you yeah. have yeah cool. yeah how was that? I wasn't that impressed by it personally. Um, I know Joe Rogan rates them a lot. Um, you're basically, it's just a, a tank, a small tank, like the size of a bath. Um, you're completely deprived of all your senses. So it's completely dark. You're floating in salt water. So you have to wear goggles because the salt water so doesn't get. You're not even aware of gravity or any sensation. Oh, that's it as well. So the water's the same temperature as your your uh, skin temperature, isn't it? So yeah, the, you don't even feel that. Yeah, the I guess the sort the the goal of it is well, completely sensory deprivation. Yes. Um, to uh, induce or allow some sort of crazy experience. I mean, uh, Joe Rogan says that he sometimes can have like an almost psychedelic experience from it um, i think I, that's largely because he combines it with either taking mushrooms or eating cannabis brownies and so on <laughs> yeah uh i mean i for me it's a lot of it's quite expensive to do because there's not that many yeah, of them it's, about it's so country it is, yeah it's quite a lot of effort you've got to get and i don't think i think i think there's nothing that i think if you're just meditating at home you can have equal experiences from it i don't think i think it's probably a bit of a novelty i mean I, I could be wrong there i mean it's cool don't get me wrong if people want to do it go and try it but for me personally it's a lot of effort for and money for something that if you just want to get the benefits of the mind you can just 
equally do it as well in a quiet room at home. Okay. Yeah. Cause I mean, it, it's, um, having talked about meditation at, um, some length just now, it, it seems, uh, like a technology or a, a process, um, that's just goes hand in hand with meditating given that, uh, yeah, you're not distracted by the sun, the gravity, the scent, uh, the feeling of your ass, you know, sat on the floor or the grass or whatever. Uh, but, go on. But you're not really when you meditate anyway. I mean, if you're, if you do, if you you're going to sit down in a room, you've put your phone on silent, you know, you've shut the windows. No one's going to distract you, and you're comfortable in a chair. As your focus, you become unaware. Or, or immediately, it's just you and your thoughts. So these, yeah, things- I mean, with the little experience, sorry to interrupt, though, that I have had with meditating, um, that that's all indeed true. But I would imagine it's more on a, um, uh, what's the I forget of the word. Um, subconscious level that your body is aware of gravity your body is aware of sunlight as it comes and goes maybe behind a cloud or whatever temperature any kind of peripheral sound like when i did meditate i tried one in a field um and it was a very peaceful experience it was very nice but uh, then in the distance you hear a bit of cars you hear um birds and so on um and i did it at home as well and i suddenly you know was just disrupted by slight sounds from the next door neighbors um people outside cars moving around and so on well so yeah i mean knocked me off center a little bit yeah i mean so that we're talking about distractions now i mean this yeah. is the thing it's, it's about removing distractions by sound or someone ringing you like you don't need to go in a sensory deprivation tank to get that environment you just need to plan your meditation and when you're doing it um and where you're doing it it might if you're in a busy city it may be impossible to do it at home because you may have like subway trains going through but they do say that the, the advanced meditators say you should be able to meditate anywhere once you get to a certain level it doesn't matter yeah. the whole point is you should be able to do it although also about sensory dep- deprivation tank it does bring in a lot of other things as well which can be annoying like like I said, the salt going in your eyes can be a distraction. You yeah. might start to, if you're, if you suffer from claustrophobia at all, you're in a, a foreign environment. If you were wealthy enough to actually be able to buy a sensory deprivation tank and have it at home, like, so it's conveniently close um, and it's yours, then that may be a completely different thing, but actually having to get in your car, drive somewhere, in an environment where you don't know the people using a piece of equipment you're not used to and pay for it i think that and you're lying in it floating i don't know if you can let go as easy as if you were just at home Um, that makes sense i mean it's always uh, a bit weird even just sleeping in a bed that's not yours right you sleep better in your own yeah and i think starting out with meditation i think really you want to plan it well so that you don't have any distractions um so just yeah. by pl- planning your day and sitting down and planning it so that you aren't going to get distracted no one's you've got no appointments no one's going to call you uh you know you've ticked all your responsibilities that's easily good enough uh, set, a sensory deprivation tank is a bit over the top in my opinion yeah yeah i mean the thing that i've always found just really intriguing about it is the fact that it's, it's depriving you of your senses i mean i think that's got to just be quite it's got to put the brain in, well, I'm, I'm saying it's got to, but it, I assume it puts the brain in a little bit of a different state. 
um, just automatically and kind of gives again more headroom for your uh, your your thoughts themselves to kind of breathe and manifest come in and out and um, because you you literally can't see anything you can't hear anything um, you, you can't yeah. necessarily feel anything but then as well I guess there's some negative uh, aspects yeah, but, of an isolation tank right but well yeah but the thing is um, if you're in a dark room get all those things anyway like even though you're floating in water gravity is still acting upon your body it's just you're in the horizontal position it's not like you're removing gravity it's just your your contact with another surface is floating on top of water whereas sitting on a chair you're just touching material um i so, so i don't think that there's i don't think you're allowing yourself to induce any sort of experience that you can't do from normal meditating and i mean like look at all the people in history that have meditated all the monks they don't go in sensory deprivation tanks so i think it's a bit of a novelty i don't think it's allowing you to experience anything that you know even if you just laid on your bed or just laid on the floor and it was completely dark you closed the windows you could have equally as good an experience i think it's a bit of a of a novelty really um maybe i mean I, I do think, though, that laying on your bed is a very different sensory experience to floating in water. Just um, you're obviously floating. So that's that's automatically different. And um, now as well, I've have seen these sensory deprivation tanks that are in England and they're these like you described, these small little pods. I know in uh, America they've got these far larger chambers. Um, so I guess automatically you're um, you've got more room with which to float or in which to float. Um, I guess the that kind of would get around the claustrophobia, though. I mean, anyone who's at all sensitive to claustrophobia would still be a little bit fucked because if you get in a lift and you feel claustrophobic, then <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I, I just think that the, size. I, I just think the the experience of whether you're floating or sitting in a chair is very sort of in, inconsequential to the process of meditation or the benefits yeah. you get from it. I don't think. I mean. Yes, it is a different experience, but if you, even if you were to sit in a chair and meditate, you're completely, you don't think about, oh, I'm sitting in a chair and I can feel it. It almost becomes, you're, you're unaware of it anyway. When you sit down and meditate, you get so into your thoughts that it was no real difference from being in an isolation tank. Um, so, but yeah, no, that's just my personal opinion. I, I think I'm doing both. Um I think I might have actually been in isolation tank more than once. Um, I, I just thought it's a bit overrated. However, if I had my own one at home yeah. um, that was mine, that I trusted and all that sort of stuff, then I may be saying a different thing. But I mean, if we're, if, if anyone, people are listening to this, you know, I don't think I wouldn't be rushing to do it to be, to be hoping that you're going to get a guaranteed <laughs> better experience than just by meditating. I think you're just going to be wasting a lot of your time. And I think all those resources and benefits are waiting for you just by meditating at home. Yeah, cool. Not to mention as well, it takes up a lot of fucking room, right? <laughs> to uh, just uh, take a, well, get an isolation tank or whatever in your home, which I guess would be a far more comfortable a situation than using someone else's where, yeah, it's just a bit weird. You're going to have people knocking on you on the top of it to kind of say, come on, time's up, mate, get out. It's a bit weird. But, um, well, even even if you lived on your own, I still think the effort of having to pay to keep the water at a certain temperature to get into it. Um, if you 
if you started off at the same time and you were meditating as well, it'd be much easier. You don't have to get changed. You just go and sit down. You just make sure your phone's on flight mode, that you're not expecting anyone. As long as there's no, you know, close the curtains. It's just, it's just as good an experience. Yeah, cool. Okay, well, I'm still intrigued by it, but um, I'm not going to sort of rush out to do it. Uh, oh, don't don't let my comments put you off doing it. This is just my personal opinion. Yeah, uh, no, like I say, I'm still intrigued by it, but uh, it's a problem. I mean, in this country anyway, they're not. It's not really a technology that's kind of used often or spoken about. I think in America, well, much to like uh, how Joe Rogan has uh, um, promoted it often. I think it's it's become a bit of a boom technology. There seems to be uh, flotation tanks cropping up all over the place. It's a bit like a you get them in general health spas, I think, in, in America, but in England, not so much. But hey-ho. Well, no, no doubt there may be a lot of benefits for other people. I mean, this is just my subjective opinion that may be amazing that, 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 that people get specifically from going into tank that I haven't had. Um, yeah, I just I mean, think a lot of these things, like it's like exercise or anything, it, people always try to capitalise on it and they try and, oh, how can I yeah, make money yeah. out of this? And it's like, yes, meditation is good. So is exercise. But it's like you walk into a gym and there's like you're overwhelmed by what exercises to do, what equipment to use. And really, to keep fit, it's quite simple. You can you don't need all this stuff. Just do some just do some press ups, you know, do some pull ups, go for a run and you're exercising your whole body. I just think um, I think it, I think it's a bit of a novelty, if, I, if, if I'm honest with you. But that doesn't mean that someone's not going to go in there and have a really profound experience. Um but it's a lot cheaper and it's a lot easier and it's a lot more convenient just to literally meditate at home, which yeah. we can talk about a, a bit more if you want about how to do it or, you know, if you, if you fancy that. Yeah, I can go for that. I'll just add on uh, as an addition. I have heard as well with isolation tanks that uh, because you're obviously uh, in a very saline, salty solution, this yeah. is very good for your uh, muscles um, and your joints and stuff to kind of really unwind, especially people with bad backs. I've heard it's, really really good for that and uh, again it's good for your skin and stuff so that i guess is um you know your back's obviously in good health and stuff so that well, it's not, be it's something... not actually <laughs> oh is it not well i do get problems with my back but yeah that's that's a very valid point there may be something uh what's the word to do for, for your skeleton and your muscles that um being sort of like floating not necessarily on a hard surface could be good for you yeah i mean there's uh what's these um there's some sort of salts that you can pour into your bath. I can't remember what they're called now. Um, salts. Got, yeah, and I think it's the magnesium level in it or something that's very good that's for it, yeah. something to do with your muscles. So, yeah, there is probably physical benefits from it, which could be quite good. Yeah, that's true. Cool. So moving on from that little topic, uh, meditation. We're going to kind of revisit this. Um, what's your yeah. experience with it or what brought you to it, actually, let's ask? I, I honestly can't remember. I think probably um many years ago when i was like uh re researching things online losing myself down various rabbit holes i would have at some stage come across meditation um i was interested in it um and then i just started doing it really um and it's just one of those things where it's free and it can it's so good for you um and yeah i don't really do it enough but it's always it's always beneficial and it's always really good for you. Um, yeah. I think that what I do, I think it's called Vipassana. Um, if I, I think that's, but it's just focusing on your breathing. Okay. Um, so that's a nice, simple starting point, isn't it? Well, it's easy because you don't need to buy anything. Some people focus on like mantras, which is repeating words or focusing on 
uh, a flame or something, but breathing is quite a popular one. Um, but the way I do it is I just, I, 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 I plan ahead. So I make sure that I've done all my work. I've got no distractions. No one's going to be coming home. I've walked the dogs, so they're going to be, and then I basically go into a room that's quiet. So I'm not going to get any sound distractions. I put my phone on silent. I do close the curtains. So when you keep your eyes closed, because there's no light coming in, it's less temptation to open them. Yes. Um, yeah. And I just sit up in a, in a, um, my back is upright because if you're lying down in bed, you can fall asleep. Um, and then I just practice what I said before, really, um, which is just focusing on my breathing. So the air going in through my nostrils down, filling my lungs. And I just, and then go back out and I just focus on that. And then very quickly, thoughts will start to pop in that you didn't decide to come there. And then you realize, Oh, I'm now distracted in thought. And then you bring your attention back to your breathing. And then you do that for a bit. And then you then realize, Oh, I'm starting to think about something again, involuntary. And that process of bringing back your attention is where you're having the training of your mind. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's amazing. I mean, um, as I said before, it just, um, it's very you become a lot more peaceful doing it i mean directly after having the meditation you'll be very calm peaceful content appreciating things you things get put into perspective you can also let go of things as well things that are bothering you anxieties can go you can have epiphanies um i mean on the on the more extreme levels a lot of monks say they have like they induce these almost like psychedelic or drug-like experiences um, well, that's that's getting into kun, is it called kundalini yoga is that that one well it's not but it's interesting you say kundalini because i wanted to talk about an experience i had when, when i had uh, an orgasm from meditating um which apparently is called a kundalini awakening i don't know if that's similar to kundalini yoga i don't know but i know yoga is probably the closest you can get to meditating without actually just meditating on its own yeah, you know, compared to just like sitting in a chair on your own meditating, yoga is very similar to that, but it's a bit more of an active way of doing it. Um, and there's like the whole prana energy associated with that. Um, but I was actually, I was, I was on a retreat in Scotland at the Loch Ness, and we were actually, it was actually a retreat for um, astral projection, um, and we would wake up in the morning uh, about three o'clock when our brains were maybe coming out of REM or starting REM. And then we would then immediately start listening to these binaural beats, which are some sort of beats that are supposed to have some sort of effect on your brain. And then we were supposed to meditate. And this was all with the purpose of trying to induce an outer body experience or astral projection. What? So you'd be meditating whilst these, uh, this soundtrack was going on behind. Or... Yeah. If, if I, yeah. If I remember correctly, but, what actually happened to me was, and this wasn't what the purpose of doing it. I had a, what I would call a full body orgasm, um, which was just an experience I had from meditating, which was pretty crazy, really. I mean, I don't read into it in any way, apart from it was a crazy thing in my mind that happened. Um, but when I did look online about it, and people describe having the experience, almost spiritual explanations about it was called a kundalini awakening and how it's to do with my chakras opening because the, the, the main sensation was up my spine um i say it was like a full body orgasm but it wasn't sexual um yeah the, indeed i was going to ask you to kind of describe what 
what this actually is. <laughs> yeah, I'll explain it to you. So um, it started off in my pelvic region where a normal orgasm is and it's the same sort of building up of sort of like tension and energy and then it builds up and it gets stronger and stronger and then sexually you then release and then it goes whereas this carried on building up but it sort of like spread across my whole body and it went up my spine i think i could probably know more than up to my neck this intense building up of energy it was like felt so good and it went down my legs wow. um, and the closest thing I would say, it was like an orgasm, but not sexual, but over more of my body. And then it faded. And then I, because the, the whole course we were on was talking about controlling your energy body and how you can command it to do things, which I think now is probably nonsense. But at the time I was like telling myself, do that again. I was like commanding my energy body. And then it happened again, but no way near as intense. But it was funny because right. as the whole as the whole experience was happening, my friend was next to me in bed, just eating a packet of crisps, and I could just hear it rustling away. And I'm next door, next in the bed next to him, <laughs> having this like full body orgasm, yeah, super deep it. experience, and he's just <laughs> munching on some walkers. Yeah, yeah, kind of get this crunch, 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 and I was like, "You bastard!" Because I at the time I didn't know if that sort of distraction in some way inhibited inhibited the experience. Um, but that, that that was a meditation. That was again just goes into the power of the mind and. So was that any breathing techniques that kind of facilitated this or just literally sitting no there meditating? No, we were actually, I think we were lying in bed. We were lying down, listening to these, they're called binaural beats. I think there's different sort of applications for them. I think this sort of like astral projection world, which I do actually think is nonsense. They sort of like use these like weird beats to create some sort of beta or alpha state in the mind. I can't remember correctly. And that's supposed to be the gateway to having these experiences. Um, as a matter of interest on the retreat, did anyone succeed in doing this? Or just the leader? Yeah, bro. I fucking uh, I was I was in Japan. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, no, I don't think so. I mean, he was. I think he was a complete charlatan. Um, yeah. Some yeah. some people did say that they were able to have like lucid dreams. Um, okay. You sort of get into this hypnagogic state where you start to see weird colors and paint and pictures, and then you start to enter a dream and you can start to control the dream which is a lucid dream, which does happen. I've had them before, but the guy taking the course was claiming that you're actually going to another universe and your astral body or your energy body or your soul or whatever. And you could actually go and meet people and have a go to a bar and talk to them and they would be on the other side of the world. That was how he right. sold it. I think he, he was a complete charlatan or just completely off his rocker if he believed it. Yeah. But it was just going back to the, 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 the you asking me about the benefits of meditation. Um, that was just something I was doing. And again, it just goes into the power of the mind and how how our beliefs and how our senses can affect our mind and we can induce these experiences and yeah it's quite crazy yeah indeed so i mean with what going on from what you just said there about uh with the power of the mind and uh, that you can convince yourself of certain things and so on yeah. do you think uh one is able to teach another um or instill at least positive thinking so let's say um, there's someone that is is depressed. They can't quite put their finger on why, yeah. uh, but but that's just their their world has become grey. Um, they're they're seeing the negative in things. They can't be bothered to be social or go out or whatever. Yeah, can you teach someone out of that through perseverance, through through guidance, through um, helping them through as well? Is just uh, your positive energy potentially infectious upon them? Um, 
I think you can certainly help people that are suffering with depression. I think it's a, probably a bit of a misunderstanding to say you can think your way out of it because I don't believe depression is really a product of your thoughts. I think it starts before that. Um, I think in, if anything, it probably more starts from emotions. And then as a consequence, your brain's trying to work out why you feel, why you feel the way you feel. And then it's injecting these thoughts to try and explain it. Um, so for example, you may feel overwhelmed by guilt and then your brain tries to rationalize this feeling by explaining it by, oh, you didn't do that or you did that, or you may feel paranoid, but I don't think, I don't think you can think your way out of depression. I mean, there are ways to sort it out. And I think that positive thinking is a beneficial thing to do, but I think it's overrated. I think it's this whole thing about staying in the present moment. Um, if that answers your question, I mean, I think, I don't think just by being around someone that's emitting a certain type of energy, can that make you feel, is that what you're saying? Can you, can it rub off on them? It depends what you mean by depressed. It depends on what sort of level you're talking about. Clinical depression, I mean, or just picking up, I mean, you can pick up vibes from other people. Yeah. It depends on what you mean by depression. Well, what does anyone ever kind of mean by depression? I think it's a it's a kind of big word again. It, I guess it can it's multifaceted. It could be based on past trauma. Um, it could be. I mean, some people just indeed get depressed and kind of they have no necessary idea why. Uh, they've come from a good family background. They've had no past traumas, and yet just the world is grey. Now, is that kind of do you equate that just to their brain chemistry, as uh, doctors would kind of always say, and have some antidepressants, get on with life, you'll be fine. Or yeah, because I mean, well, I know that talking well, therapy can certainly help. And I guess is is that just allowing someone to kind of vent and and release steam, uh, kind of put their ideas to a wall if you like, because uh, the, the talking therapy, they don't tend to um, say a great deal sometimes or have much of an interaction. It's more like um, the person with depression is like throwing a tennis ball against the wall and kind of catching it and they're, they're receiving their thoughts back at them. And uh, in that process, they are able to sometimes unravel the thoughts and make more sense of them. And uh, yeah, yeah kind of I mean, improve. yeah, you, you've touched on, so touched on quite a few things there. There is what is depression and sort of like the benefits of therapy. Um, therapy, yeah, definitely. Thera thera therapy definitely helps. You get like CBT, um, NLP, all sorts of different types of therapy. And I think it's more than just talking. Like, yeah, the talking is cathartic and it helps. But uh, the actual, the, the, the real benefits from therapy is when you actually leave your therapist and it's what you're taking out of that session. And even though you don't think you're saying much, sorry, even though your therapist isn't saying much and it's maybe you doing all the talking, but they're responding to you in very careful ways to almost promote, um, yeah, different ways of thinking, I guess. Um, so yeah, I mean, but it's not, therapy isn't the sort of like the be, the final solution. Um, it's just, a step, no, a step in the right direction for you to allow you to work stuff out and then essentially you have to be responsible for it yourself yeah the final solution indeed comes down to the the client if you like um the the person with depression it's it's how they integrate maybe what they've learned in the session and how they integrate it with how they interact with the world and behave and uh 
choose to think though that's a bit of a weird phrase right how do you choose to think a certain way it's um yeah well it's, it's yeah it's just seeing things from a different perspective i think uh i don't fully know psychology behind how it all works i think we probably get trapped in thought patterns um that's easy just to fall back into them um it all depends on why you're having therapy though um and what type of therapy you're having uh, but yeah communication is a really good tool especially if you're with a professional to help you on this the starting road to healing or at least getting to a point where you can manage it and operate in a day-to-day life um but i mean depression itself like i think you can you've got it, it's quite an annoying term because people use it casually in day-to-day life you know they say i feel depressed i feel this and that but clinical depression or manic depression is very different from just being depressed indeed uh, indeed it's 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 it's, it's a, a severe disability it's a horrible thing um and yes yeah, it's, it's, it's 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 torture it's horrible um yeah i mean so that gets on to kind of this this term treatment resistant depression which i've uh, i've read often um actually um so yeah talking therapy kind of didn't didn't help them now maybe this is called manic depression though i'm aware that uh, bipolar disorder actually used to be called manic depression now it's called bipolar disorder so does manic depression still exist is it been recategorized i'm not sure but um but well, yeah, bi- when- bipolar and manic depression is where you go from states of a deep depression which is just clinical depression to euphoria you're like going completely in the opposite way so i think that's the difference like a manic or a bipolar is they'll be high and really high and loving life really positive impulsive spending they want to save the world they're really high uh abnormally high unhealthily high to a deep depression whereas just clinical depression on its on its side is just bouts of mostly being depressed and being down and then when you're lucky coming back to being normal whatever that means yeah indeed so indeed there is there is a difference now between the two that's what i was kind of trying to establish just be clear on wording and stuff but um yeah so manic depression treatment resistant depression as it's been called uh, recently as well because antidepressants don't work for them talking therapy has not worked for them uh, cbt etc cetera, etc cetera, all the different categories of talking therapy yeah. now what, one of the things that has been uh, always really kind of gr- gaining traction um certainly in america um is talking therapy with the use of um a psychedelic now so be that um psilocybin from mushrooms lsd or mdma i believe have been the the drugs trialed oh also ketamine um and that these these substances can um can really bring about enormous change when coupled with a, a talking therapy so you've got that professional there kind of guiding the experience um keeping you safe keeping you calm um if you know painful things come up in these uh these altered states um that are maybe magnified or perhaps you're able to look at it from a different perspective um it's been said yeah that the ability to look at it from a different perspective and the the tweak that it's uh done to your brain chemistry that you are able to really um re-navigate um your memories essentially and 
again, this kind of gets onto neural plasticity. So yeah. um, depression can often come from at least one of the more basic understandings of it is um, your mind essentially forming patterns of behavior, patterns of how to look at things. Um, and that's what then as time goes on and momentum picks up those, those, those trenches, if you like, or those patterns of behavior get more and more deep seated and, and ingrained within your psyche. Whereas if you can tweak your consciousness with, um, with a psychedelic in a safe environment via this uh, talking therapy session, um, you're able to really connect areas of the brain, which otherwise wouldn't be connected, re navigate round said trauma or, um, guilt or whatever it may be and uh yeah kind of work around it in a much more effective way than you would in just your default mode of thinking yeah i mean it's very early days i don't i mean we don't really know there's no one cause of depression there's no sort of like clear oh this is what causes depression um, that's it yeah yeah and people don't really know exactly what depression is i mean in the past they've talked about chemical imbalances of essential neurotransmitters um they've talked about the, the size of the hippocampus and a lot of a lot of it is also belief systems as well um what you believe about yourself this this picture of yourself this story you have of your life um and yeah i mean the benefits of psychedelics again it's early days but i should think on, on one level it's just making you more open and more happy so you can just talk about things and you, you um removes any inhibitions by talking to a stranger and yeah there is scientific studies where they do observe what is actually happening in the brain um maybe on a more like mechanical biological level yeah um it is um allowing a more efficient form of it's, it's opening up opportunities for your brain to communicate in ways to almost um catalyze healing um some scientific studies have seen that there's more of a direct path between two things trying to communicate so like as the crow flies whereas before a message would have to go through like a convoluted path and maybe go through areas that were damaged it allows your brain to communicate in other ways you could say removing blockages or allowing openings where it wasn't before um, you can certainly with scientific measurements see a neurons being far more efficient and working more effectively um, on certain dosages of assistance with drugs um, which are a completely new way compared to conventional antidepressants because conventional antidepressants are just basically recycling like serotonin. It's, yeah. reu it's reusing it, um, but it's, they have got tremendous side effects as well. It's interesting as well that you bring it onto kind of modern antidepressants because um, interestingly, our modern antidepressants actually came off the back of LSD research in the 1950s and 60s in America. So before um, LSD was discovered, we didn't really know what the fuck was going on with the brain. We didn't even know what serotonin was. They right. started looking into the brain and doing scans and figuring out how to understand it because LSD taken in such small quantities has such a massive effect on people. They were perplexed by this. And so okay. they looked a little deeper. And yeah. that's where they then discovered serotonin and thus from that, came uh ssris serotonin reuptake inhibitors which yeah, is uh, so, so, 
Yeah, selective serotonin reuptake. Okay, cool, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because on a chemical level, the chemical structure of serotonin is very similar to LSD or cybersilin. I think also maybe dopamine. Their chemical structure is so similar, they can almost um, replace each other. So like when you put a key in a lock, yeah. Yes, lock like, and key. They all do that. They can all unlock the same doors. Um, so yeah, that makes a lot of sense, really. Um, and I think the way that the antidepressants are working, um, my understanding is, is that you have like a, a, a synapse, which is a gap down almost a, a neuron, which is almost like a wire where a signal gets sent, and then you've got a gap, and it needs to jump across that gap. And on one side, it will release. Um, the neurotransmitter, and then what the transmitter then floats across to the other side, it gets absorbed and it carries a single signal along. And people with depression commonly have a lower release of serotonin. So what they're actually doing is once it's been sent across, instead of it fully getting absorbed after it's sent the signal, it's almost putting up a barrier to reuse it. So that synapse has just got floating around serotonin. So it's allowing signals to get through. Um, I see. They do work. They don't get me wrong. I mean, I remember taking them and feeling, I was like, wow, I was like, is this what it feels not like to be depressed? It's great. Yeah, they, they can work, but they also can have some side effects. Um, and yeah, you don't want to be on them f f for your entire life. Um, but That's yeah, the no problem because the problem it seems to me with antidepressants is it's just a little bit of a band aid. So it's treating the symptom. Um, which is feeling down, feeling sad. Uh, so it's heightening your mood, It's, but it's not solving the problem. So maybe the problem is that you're actually down and depressed for kind of good reason. Maybe something's not right in your life. Maybe the job you're in sucks. Maybe, you know, you've had a trauma that you kind of need to process properly and deal with rather than just wrapping it up with a pill that makes you feel happy. You're not solving a problem. You're just biding your time, and then you come off the pill, and oh, hey, hey, presto, you're fucking depressed again. So that that's the problem, I think, with um, uh, antidepressants. Is it doesn't really encourage you to solve the root cause. It mm. just well, it's true what you're saying. Some degree, it, it's true what you're saying. It's <clears> not <throat> it's not getting to the root cause of why you're depressed, um, but it's allowing you to get into a state where you can explore that. I mean, to, to I mean, if you're in a horrible state of your suicidal, you're never yeah. going to be able to sort your life out. But you have this like chemical assistance by these antidepressants. Yeah, and and then it I'm kind not... of allows you to um, then reevaluate. Yeah, it, you can't just rely on the antidepressants to heal your depression. Um, you, once you're on them, you then need to look at your life like you said and said, why am I actually depressed in the first instance? What's causing that? Yeah. Now, I'm not trying to take away... Uh, the the benefit of antidepressants because I've uh, well I've I've had an ex girlfriend actually that I could see the the clear help that they gave her in dealing with day to day life, um, so yeah obviously they've got their place and they work to some extent. I think um, what I'd like to see though uh, when people do go to the doctors and so on for depression is a little bit more encourage uh, encouragement to actually start once they do have that chemical help to indeed start sorting out what's actually up um, <clears throat> or what's actually wrong instead of just kind of getting a set of tablets and sent on your way. Um, yeah. It kind of needs to go hand in hand with something else uh, well, rather well, they than do, just. Yeah, so. they do recommend therapy, though. That's why I think um, you're right with what you're saying. Um, you you want to be careful 
the, the sort of like um, the, the hospitals or the, the GPs aren't giving across this image that, oh, just take these tablets and everything's going to be okay. But then yeah, they it's will. It's not like they, an antibiotic, is it? No, you need to then, like you say, and I think therapy helps with that. Therapy helps you start to understand why you're feeling the way you're feeling. Because some people just don't get it. A lot of people don't. I've had therapy lots of times before, and I think everyone should have it. It's great, even if you're not depressed, because it makes you realize things. Um, kind of similar to what meditation does, really, but it makes you realize, oh, that's why I've been feeling like that. Oh, this is why I've been behaving like that, because subconsciously I'm reacting to a childhood experience, which I've still got trauma from. And at least then you kind of understand why you're doing it. And that's the first stage to making the changes in your life. Uh, depression yeah. to me is... is uh, I don't think it's an, it's 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 um it's a, a sign. It's your body telling you something. Not it's not something's not quite right. Um, you know the a, what your genes, what your body needs to be happy, which I think is a very simple formula, is not matching the environment around you. Um, and depression will be your body telling you we're not happy with this. Something's not right. So people that suffer, people that have had depression or suffer with it, um, it can be a, a great tool or a guide in how to navigate through life and how you feel with certain things and um you can work along work alongside it although it's unpleasant um yeah it can, it can be a great tool um yeah no i think that's interesting to look at it as a tool i mean uh i'm i'm a very sensitive person i'm a creative person um oh. No, <laughs> but I wouldn't say I've ever been depressed. Now I've certainly been down, and yeah. I've been through some dark times. I've even had sort of the old uh, suicidal sort of flashes of thoughts like come into my mind and stuff. Yeah. But I've always understood that that means something's up. And then I've yeah. asked myself, "What's up, man? What? Why? Why am I feeling like this?" And analyzed it essentially and i'm as well i'm quite comfortable with expressing my emotions which i guess isn't a kind of normal situation to have in a male um but i'm very comfortable kind of being vulnerable essentially and opening up and sharing things and then uh i'm able to discuss these things i mean credit to my parents they've always been uh, very encouraging of that and very kind of open people themselves um again creative quite open-minded and salt of the earth type people so i've always I suppose, been encouraged to express anger or upset or whatever. Um, so I suppose because I'm fairly comfortable opening up to people, I've yep. always been able to give myself a talking therapy with the people around me. Um, because I think you'll find as well that when you open up, people open up too. And so I guess that's also actually really how me and you met um, by just having open discussions and uh, finding it all really interesting, um, kind of having like a word jam, <laughs> to put it again into a musical context. Yeah, I think um, certainly what you've said about the way you've been brought up and your ability to completely talk about your emotions has no doubt been a, a very beneficial um, thing for you and your brain and life. Um, that could be the reason you don't suffer from depression or you may just not be disposed to it or maybe you're just your life has just been good and you've had no reason to feel depressed. I mean, I don't know. Um, I think you said, I think, you know, if you've got depression, you definitely know, like it's not, well, it, it, I, you know, I, it's a slippery you're... one. I think it's a slippery one. Uh, again, I, I mentioned that my, my ex partner uh, suffered from depression and uh, it was tricky to spot 
it would just sneak in and then you'd be kind of a couple of months down the line and I'd be noticing, hang on a minute, this is not where we where we once were and this is not this is not um this is not my partner anymore. This is a little, little bit different. Um I think Yeah, yeah but I'm talking I'm talking generally uh, yeah, okay, at the time as a, if you're if you suffer with depression, it may be hard for you to realise that you've gone back into that dark cloud. Yeah. I'm just saying generally if you were to ask people, have you ever suffered depression? It, 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 if you're not sure then you haven't done it because it's quite a severe thing. Um, yeah, yeah, I see. You, you would you would know that. I mean, depression. The thing is with depression, uh, it's it's quite hard to diagnose because, well, firstly, it's in the mind, so it's not that obvious to see. Um, yes. And whereas you know, if you've got a broken leg or something, it's obvious. And even and even on the sort of like mental health spectrum, um, for things like schizophrenia, it's kind of more obvious. Um, whereas depression really more affects things that. People kind of do suffer from regularly anyway, but it's just it just happens for so, it's much more extreme, and it's over long periods of time. It can be years, months. Um, so everyone, you would have at some stage experienced the feelings which depressive people feel, but yours would have been for a very short, more healthy period of time. I think what I was saying as well is that uh, I've certainly been, I believe, in that space of feeling depressed or as I because I don't consider myself to have a having gone into depression I suppose this is how I define depression I think depression is where you're not quite sure what's wrong but you know that something's fucking wrong whereas I've been down I've been through hard times but I have known why I'm down and if I haven't known I've looked for the reason and I've found it and I've tried to change it or I've bided my time and been patient knowing that it will change in the end so through my sort of own analysis and talking again, like I was saying with my friends and family and, and so on, I've, I've negated depression sticking, but I've certainly felt very wounded and sore. Um, yeah. And I think, so for example, you know, we can all have situations where we might go through a messy breakup or a family member might die or something horrible might happen. And yeah, for a period after that, you are experiencing feelings which do would be similar to someone that is suffering from depression, um, and yeah, maybe you've been, maybe you have navigated your way through it quite well, but it's like it's not always obvious why it's happening. Although there probably is a very rational reason for it. Um, yeah, because I, th I think being happy there's, there's probably you could list on the page. You know, if someone says, oh, I'm depressed, I could quite easily talk to them. And, and you could probably immediately from a short conversation find obvious things in their lives that were probably fueling that. And if they stopped doing that. But you see, I suffer from depression and it comes and goes for me. And it's not always obvious why, because I think on paper, I'm quite happy with my life. Um, but depression, I try and I, I try and describe when, for people that have never experienced it to, to try and sort of like give them a, sort of a very simple way of explaining it i would start off by saying so imagine the worst hangover you've ever had and if you've ever experienced a drug hangover say you've done loads of let's say cocaine and you've got a horrible hangover the next day so you feel you don't want to get out of bed you maybe feel guilty paranoid you feel like just terrible you've got no energy you don't want to eat you just feel horrible can you imagine can you so does that can you does that bring can, does that bring back a memory of the worst 
hanger you've ever had, yeah? Yeah. So imagine that and then add into it as well just literally the inability to experience pleasure, which is probably the hardest one for people to understand because the inability to experience pleasure just means you're dead inside. Your brain's wanting to die. And then imagine you've just found out that literally everyone you love has just died. And then you, and there's anxiety there as well. It's probably all the worst feelings you could ever feel as a human being. Like imagine experiencing all of them at the same time for like weeks and months and months. It's, and then you've got to get on with your life when you don't, yeah. your brain, your brain doesn't want to live. Um, your body's physically wanting to shut down. Everything is a monumental task. It's, um, it's horrible. I mean, I've, I mean, a lot of people, I don't know if you've seen online, uh, Jordan Peterson's daughter. I mean, Jordan Peterson, he suffers with depression, clinical depression. And so does his daughter. But his daughter right, yeah. also suffers with um, terrible problems with her bones. She's had like, well, it's a form of arthritis, but she's in agonizing pain from it. And she's had like 49 operations. She said that she would rather have that than depression. Um, right. And I've said before at times, it sounds a bit crazy that if I could get hit by a car, and know that I would never get depression again. I probably would do that. <laughs> um, right, Jesus. Yeah, no. Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's, the, it's, it's mental. It's 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 extreme. It's very extreme. And um, yeah, and I think unless you you can't really understand it until you've actually experienced it. You see, some of the things that you were touching there. I mean, just to, to trying to establish a root cause of feeling that bad seems utterly impossible. Um, and that's why I, that's in my categorization in my own head of how depression or what depression is is when you just have no fucking idea where to start it's just a mind soup of awful shit um well yeah as i was saying yeah I've, no, I've, i can work my way through the thoughts and find out where it's bad so yeah indeed i've never had depression by that definition well, no. I don't know what I don't. I, I don't know what you've had because I'm not in your brain. This is it's like do I look at blue and I see what color you see blue, I see blue. But are we seeing the same thing? I don't. It's hard, really. But you know, like when I speak to people and they say certain like phrases when they talk about it, I don't. I wouldn't. I don't believe you've ever actually suffered from depression. That doesn't mean that you haven't had horrible experiences in your life and you suffered. But as a, as a mental illness, depression, from my conversations with you, and you're very lucky. I don't believe you've ever suffered from it. But I mean, for me, I've. I was first diagnosed in my teens and I think arguably I'd probably had it from a lot younger. I can remember certain things happening, which at the time I thought was normal feelings, but now being older and have dealt with this and gone through the cycles when it happens to me, I'm kind of used to it. So if I feel depressed, it's like, Oh, I've got a cold again and I can immediately recognize I'm feeling this way. And then I can make steps to manage it. Um, whereas if you're young and you're suddenly overwhelmed by these feelings and you don't understand it and you haven't had therapy or you and all these things. Yeah, it can be really overwhelming and you can have no idea what to do and you can feel so alone and scared. Indeed. Now, again, you uh, put it in a nice little phrase there that you've got a cold again. That's You've got used to it. You kind of recognise when it's here and you can take steps to uh, work around it, work through it. What are some of those steps? Um. So there's kind of two aspects to it. There's the one when I realize, so you go in and out of it. Um, you don't have it all the time. I don't get it all the, all the time now. It's often. 
um, but creep into it if you're fairly new to depression you haven't been dancing with it for many many years it's harder to spot um, so sort of like backing up a little bit I would say generally to keep it at bay to keep the cycles away um, just start off with obvious things and be honest with yourself and just sort of like observe your life and be, be very analytical of what things you could be doing that may be making you feel crap and and then address them um so for example some obvious ones are are you are you healthy so are you if you're not doing any exercise at all then start exercising are you eating healthily are you drinking enough water are you sleeping enough are you spending enough time in nature um uh, what's your gut biome like um all sorts of obvious things like this which i think were really you could apply to anyone really it's not just generally being happy um then look at, then i would look at obvious things in my life that were things that were obvious that could be making me feel down like was i in a toxic relationship or was i hanging around with people that were bringing me down did i hate my job um so things like that are obvious things which were causing you suffering um and then if you've got on paper a great life and you've got all those things and you're still finding yourself getting depressed um i would say then go to therapy because therapy is a way of like professional further introspection about exposing things that weren't obvious about you are where you're neglecting parts of your life or you're not fulfilled in certain areas or things from the past that are haunting you subconsciously and you weren't aware of. Um, so, I mean, if usually when you, you usually when you've been suffering from depression for a long time, you can usually wake up in the morning and you can tell straight away if you're feeling depressed. Uh, it's very different right. from being, it's very different from waking up and being groggy because you're tired. Like that is, a, 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 a pleasant morning for me if i wake up and i'm just a little bit tired it's like oh yeah my depression's not here um right. if i'm feeling really bad um you can well you could there's various things you could do um i mean are there any things though that you particularly because i mean um thus far the the advice you're sort of suggesting i suppose would be quite general stuff it's quite um uh all encompassing uh, well uh, it's never all encompassing for everyone everyone's different but it's it's quite general basically advice but are there any specific things that you've found that that particularly help or things like well, go-to little tricks that you've figured out along the way well you've got to be very strong and you've got to think positively and you've got to be able to recognize okay the, it's back um but you know it isn't permanent and you know if you can basically it's the, the first hour first two hours is essential if you can force yourself out of bed and you can force yourself to have a shower and get ready you're fighting it and the, there's like a war in your brain and you're trying to defeat it by stimulating resistance. My, you're, you're being resistance to it yeah you're fighting it and and then maybe go for a walk and then um if you have this little battle you can uh f fight it off or maybe if you if you had the ability to like go for a run or something you could force it away um some people you could um take a a chemical 
Um, you could do like a small microdose, say. Some people might do that, um, which can help to remove depression instantly. Um, that's one way of doing it. I think um, that sounds pretty handy. What's a microdose? Yeah, just before we come on to that. But if you've, so I mean, it's, for me, it's very different because for me, I'm sort of like, I feel like I've got my understanding of depression of where it is. So I've already removed any obvious, like if I hated my job and I really hated it and I was yeah. feeling depressed, that would be something that I would first address. And if I, if I was, if it was obvious, I was eating a terrible diet and I wasn't exercising enough and I wasn't doing any of my hobbies. And there were sort of obvious things in my life, which could become apparent just by talking to someone, you would say, fix them first. And then if you were still, suffering depression you might want to explore more about why you're feeling depressed and it could be temporarily stressed from work or because if you're sensitive to it anyway you're always going to be sensitive to it sensitive to it for the rest of your life yeah, you, will always, yeah. you will always get it it's part of who you are it's just the fact that you're more sensitive to this part of your body that's going to be talking to you um so yeah i think it's more about there's living your life it's changing your lifestyle so that when you're not depressed, you're still acting in ways and you're not being complacent. You still have to make the right decisions to kind of stop it coming back. I mean, like regular exercise, if you, if you did like a 5k or you did exercise every day, I'm pretty sure that would a really good way of keeping it away. Um, providing there's no other obvious problems. Um, but I mean, even when I get it, it's never just random for no reason. It will be, because something's not quite right i'm neglecting a need but more on like a deeper level more on like a per my purpose or on a sort of like existential nihilistic level no i mean that makes total sense um now backtracking a little bit you mentioned earlier about microdosing i'd just like to talk a little bit more about that and it's um it's potential application for mental health needs so microdosing, yeah. So basically, I think we mentioned previously in this podcast about the sort of breakthrough drugs, um, which are having a lot of, well, starting to have a lot of scientific research in their um, usages for like uh, therapy for mental illnesses. Um, and, and there being MDMA, uh, cybersilin, which is in mushrooms, um, LSD, and what was the other one? I can't remember. Ketamine. That was it. Um, what microdosing is microdosing is well essentially microdosing is taking a micro dose of any drug um, it doesn't have to be any particular drug essentially you could probably microdose alcohol yeah um, i must say i'm microdosing a beer right now mate <laughs> in theory but microdosing typically applies to those four breakthrough drugs and it's where people are self-medicating so they're basically taking very small dosages of those breakthrough drugs um, but they're not doing it for the uh, the, the well-known um, recreational benefits. So usually people would take them for fun, essentially, to feel euphoric, to have an interesting hallucination. You're actually taking them. So you don't trip at all. Um, you're completely sober. So you take a very small amount of, say, let's say, LSD, and you're doing it purely for the sort of like therapeutic benefits for... Uh, almost removing your symptoms of depression, removing anxiety to allow you to get on with your day. Um, and from what you can read on an, online, there's uh, it's an overwhelming amount of um, anecdotal um, evidence for people that are doing this, and they're just saying it's fantastic. Um, yeah, I must say, I've, I've uh, any time I see an article, um, I'm immediately drawn to it. But I've been doing a fair bit of reading that uh, 
they're stacking up. The evidence is stacking up in uh, in its favour for this microdosing technique. Um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating stuff, and and seemingly with no side effects. Uh, yeah, negative side effects. That being. Well, there's none at all. And there's none at all, even within the, the scientific research. It's literally remarkable. Um, it's almost, it seems like too good to be true, but it is actually true. Um, and I think with microdosing as well, there's such a, a minimal amount of the actual chemical you're taking. Um, it's, if you look at your vitamin tablets and you, you read down how much vitamin C is in the vitamin tablets, it's less than that. So it's, right. it, there's no, from your, the size of your body, it's so minimal. Um but yeah, no, it's um, it's really encouraging, and I think um, you know down the line, have five or ten years, um, it will definitely be more more common in society. People using um, these sort of like taboo drugs, which you know unfortunately have a an unfair sort of like stigma against them, when really they've got so many beautiful things to offer the human race. Yeah, indeed. I mean, I guess that stigma partly comes from the. Um the kind of hippie revolution back in the 60s where uh, indeed actually some good uh, societal changes were achieved in that time when you look at america the civil rights movement the kind of protest against the vietnam war but uh, from the law and order standpoint um all suddenly these dancing raving hippies on the street maybe was uh, not quite what they were after and hence the uh, subsequent war on drugs which which is a terrible shame, really, in my view. Um, but at the end of the day, when you dissect the message that these youngsters had, peace and love, I mean, it's not really all that bad, I don't think. <laughs> no, it's not. And basically, I, you know, again, if you look at the um, statistics of drugs, um, so there's been a lot of scientific research into them. Um, it's it's all the all the legal, well, I mean, alcohol is one of the worst drugs scientifically. With all the yeah. impact it has, cigarettes, uh, things that we've been talking about, mushrooms, LSD, ketamine, it's all on the bottom end of the scale. These are all seen as safer drugs that have minimal harm to society, minimal harm, they're, they're minimally addictive. They're just they're basically just compared to, say, alcohol. I mean, obviously, crack cocaine and nicotine and stuff like that, and uh, heroin is all up there, is really bad, and cocaine, which are... But these sort of drugs... Um, are seen as relatively harmless, but have massive profound effects on, on empathy, compassion, love. Um, so it is interesting. And science is catching up. I mean, obviously, because it's mainstream and it's the main thing, it's well, going to take a while to, to catch up with maybe if there are fringe groups that are exploring it. And they've been saying this for decades, you know, it's the, it's, you know, but it's, it, it, was, it was positive stuff happening, you know, it just takes a while. You have to be patient. Indeed. Well, Let's just uh, patiently watch this space and hopefully in time, uh, people working in the mental health world will have some new, highly effective uh, tools with which to work. So should we call it a day there? Yeah, I'm happy with that. It's been a nice meandering conversation again, Ben. Cool. Mm -hmm. Thanks, everybody. Cheers. Bye-bye.